couples do have a value shift over time. If we're really supporting each other truly and really for each other, then we're supporting our partners to live into those values rather than saying that they need to shift over to our values or there's something wrong because our values don't match anymore. And I would think in some cases, there could be a really deep honoring of like, hey, our values just are too different at this point. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 50, 5-0 of The Art of We. I can't believe we made it to 50, Will. 50. It's a big number. It's a big number. And in light of 50, so I'm going to turn 50 next year, and a, a big conversation has been happening between you and me, Will, about aging. And we recently woke up to differences in how we're relating to aging. And we thought it was important to share here because we have a sense that there can be pretty big divergent perspectives when it comes to important life experiences, and one of them being aging. How did this come about? Was this an outgrowth of turning 50 or was this Peter Atia's book, Outlive? Or Well, just to correct you, I have not turned 50 yet. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure we're on the same page. Uh -huh. <laughs> that is correct. But I think it's many things. I think it's almost about to turn 50 next year. It's your inspiring relationship to how you've been working out and then the things that you have been bringing forward that you want to do next in relationship to reading Peter Atiyah's book. And why don't we just mention, how would you describe Peter Atiyah for people who don't know him? Peter Atiyah is a longevity geek, Stanford-educated physician who has a podcast called The Drive that's really worth a look. He's just a really interesting thinker around optimization of health. So he's one of those doctors who's gone way beyond the Western medicine paradigm of wait until somebody's sick and then deal with it. And then even beyond, I would say, integrative medicine, which is sort of like, how do we do natural things instead of pharmaceutical things into if we apply ourselves, how far can we take health? So his goal is to be able to compete in a decathlon at age 100 to give you a sense of the ambition that this guy has. Right. It's pretty cool. Right. It's really cool. And so you talking about these different things that you want to implement in your life and your health, I'm noticing a discrepancy in how I'm relating to wanting to implement stuff. And so these things combined and then getting into a conversation with our business partners about this, it's becoming more and more clear to me that I have been unconsciously or maybe subconsciously holding a, per, a certain perspective about what happens for us as we age. And you have been holding a different perspective 
about what happens when we age. And I think that the discrepancy, if not attended to, could result in a kind of we, a kind of relationship when we're older that we're not actually wanting. Like you are much healthier than me. You've done all the different things in order to get your VO2 up, for example, or work your muscles really hard. And I'm on the spectrum of more like, it's kind of downhill from here, my perspective. We're just trying to do our best to hopefully stay healthy, to maintain our health so that we don't decline as much as possible. But I don't necessarily have the perspective that we can do a lot about changing the future of our health. Well, maybe I should say I had the perspective. (laughs) Well, I'd like to explore this perspective here a little bit more deeply when you say that you've uncovered this point of view or this part of you that believes that it's all downhill from here, the only thing that can happen is loss of function, what are the implications of that point of view in terms of like how you're going to relate to health? Well, first I want to validate my perspective because even in Peter Atiyah's book, on page 39... which I was reading this book last night, because I am changing my perspective and you're really inspiring me. So I'm getting into his book and he says something to the effect of, there's this like, if you don't do any any intervention, there's a certain pathway for your life. If you do kind of the, a little bit of intervention, like the normal medical kind of intervention that we might apply, he says, in midlife, you'll gradually begin to feel some changes. You will lose a bit of your youthful strength. You might notice that you will occasionally forget passwords or the names of the people you meet so on, so on, so on. Your friends and peers will begin to be diagnosed with cancer, cardiovascular disease, and related conditions, and you will attend memorial services for friends from school. So it's kind of like this downhill trajectory. And I think that I've really taken that on from what I've seen around me and culturally, the messages that I have been sent. So I just want to say that first. And then I think that there's implications short-term in terms of our relationship, and there's long-term implications Short-term implications are you saying, hey, I want to go get my VO2 checked, which is basically, is it the maximum volume of oxygen intake? Is that what that stands for? A VO2 max is a basically a biomarker of fitness of your cellular metabolism. So it's more than just like how much oxygen you can process. It's also how much CO2 you put off and that's all involved in mitochondrial health and there's a lot of nuance to it, but there's a certain level that's necessary to be able to do certain things. Right. And so when you're wanting to get your VO2 checked because you want it to be high so that when you're 70 and 80 and 90, you want to be able to have the capacity to walk far distances, maybe climb mountains. So the short term is my judgment of like, oh, here we go again, like another health fad, another health like optimizing trick that, you know, will last for a little bit. And then long term, I think the implications are you might be able to climb mountains when you're 70, 80, 90, and I might not be able to if I'm not taking it seriously and really looking at how we do want our physical lives to be looking like when we're in our older ages. So if I'm just having the perspective that I'm at the effect of this downhill decline, that's where I'm going to end up, I believe. And if you're having the perspective of, oh no, like we can do things that are really impactful for our health in the future, then you're going to be in a different place than I am. 
Yeah, I agree. And that could cause a lot of challenges interpersonally if over the course of the next 40 years, we end up at a different destination yeah. health-wise yep. and capacity-wise. I think that what is driving the interest in Peter Atiyah's work for me is this graphic that's kind of hard to describe in words, but it's easy to find on YouTube or on his website where he he shows his wish is, is to sort of maintain a high level of functionality until his 90s and then have it, you know, drop off within months of death versus... Like it's a steep decline. Yeah, like a box shape. Yeah. Versus a long drawn out decline. Versus a triangle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gradual decade by decade decline in functionality. Right. And the kind of very real perception that I have that at 53, I'm pretty healthy, but it's much easier to maximize my health from where I am right now versus passively getting into my 70s or 80s and then trying to boost my health from that point be much harder than optimizing and maximizing now and then trying to maintain that high level over the next several decades uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Totally. And I'm so psyched that you are on that path. I want you to be, I want both of us to be really healthy and generative and alive for as many years as possible. And so I think the importance of waking up to these different divergent perspectives that we have about aging, it could also about, be about how willing we are to grow in our lives. Like I think that's another place where couples can get divergent. Definitely. If we're not identifying it and talking about it, like I have... I was able to get in touch with our vows when I really thought about what our lives might be like if I stayed on the path of this is the way life is going to be and you stayed on the path of generativity, I'm just calling it that, then I'm not actually living into our vows, which one of them is we vow to forever explore the depths of our connection and generativity. And to me, generativity means that we're not willing to subscribe to an idea that we are declining in some form together or individually. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's fair to say that I'm on a path of generativity and you weren't. I mean, I think that it feels more true to say that I get stuck and fall asleep in certain areas. And luckily we have a relationship where mostly our blind spots don't overlap. And so, for example, like you see possibilities in ways of parenting our daughter, your stepdaughter, my biological daughter, that I can't see. And you, so, you know, there's a generativity there. You see possibilities in the people that I work with at work that you give me ideas about how I could work through something in those relationships. And, um, you know, in this area around health and aging, I think that there's a way that I'm helping you but it's sort of like a, a mutual thing in different areas of our lives. Yeah. I think it's about seeing possibility yeah. and really supporting each other to see possibility in the areas where one or the other of us struggles to see possibility. Right. And that is another vow is that we vow to find possibility when we can't see it. So that's true. I like that. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I wouldn't have really had this perspective about aging if I hadn't lived through getting into some trouble with metabolic biomarkers a few years ago and trying a lot of really 
aggressive things with diet and exercise that did not work at all. And then hiring a coach, a shout out to Dan Go, who is a fit founder on Twitter. He's amazing, amazing coach who identified some things and helped me personalize what I was doing and get me back on track mm-hmm. and uh, reverse some of the scarier biomarkers. So, you know, in my early 50s, I was having the experience of this decline in function mm-hmm. and being able to intervene and get things going in a good direction. So really gave me a lot of confidence that the things I was reading in places like Peter Atia could actually be true for me. Yeah, and you're pointing to part of the reason why my psychology goes into, oh, this is just the way it's going to be. Like you in integrative medicine, knowing all of these things that should help and attempting to apply all those things and they're not helping is kind of like, feeds into the validation that my brain can have of, see, it's just a decline. There's not much we can do. We're kind of just screwed either way. So it's a uphill journey, I think, with the different kinds of resources that we have had historically in terms of health and seeing possibility. But I really appreciate people like Peter Tia. I deeply appreciate the work that you've done in the world around medicine and psychiatry to help people see new possibilities. And I think that we're on the cutting edge of things if we actually pay attention and listen and try new things. But it's also like working out, like how hard am I willing to work out with the promise or supposed promise that at 70, 80, 90, I can climb mountains when in part, I don't even know if I'll be alive at 70, 80 or 90 because we don't know what happens in life. So it's kind of like this, how much do we apply in hopes of a future promise? And how much do we just say, this is the way it's going to be? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because it's kind of like this this koan around, and you and I talk about this quite a bit, is this kind of more Eastern philosophy or Buddhist perspective of accepting things the way they are, and yet at the same time, efforting to make them the best they can be. And so on a good day, I'm able to apply a lot of effort toward the goals that we have, professional, personal you know, physical, financial, whatever, relational, while at the same time reminding myself that this is all a big game to play, right? The human experience is a, it might even be a simulation. (laughs) We don't even know what's really real, right? So getting over um, identified with or wrapped around the axle of the endeavor can be a big trap for me. And I've created a lot of anguish and suffering around getting too attached to the outcome of what I'm trying to do. You're reminding me that the biggest leverage for me is our commitment to live into our most extraordinary we. Like that lives so deeply in my heart that I know that if I allow the perspectives of it's just downhill from here to lead my actions and my thoughts, I know that I'm not going to be able to step into creating the most extraordinary we with you because it will impact so many things. And so I'm willing to risk the hard work and effort it takes to live into that stand in order for that possibility to actually happen. Like that's where I get inspired. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. 
These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple. And they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance, and now back to the episode. I think that our listeners can relate to the difference between that psychological state that we get into of having the f***s or, you know what I mean, like, um, why bother? You yeah. Know, why bother trying to stay fit or eat healthy or maintain our home in good condition or save money or maintain relationships with our family? You know what I mean? There's there's so many things that can feel like, oh, it's just too much. Life is too much for me. Yeah. Versus the other psychological experience of seeing possibility and exploring and playing more offense in our lives than defense. Well, I think that's a really important conversation because in this conversation about divergence between couples, which I can see a lot, I see it happen a lot, I hear people talk about it a lot, different things are different for each other and it creates a wedge in their relationships in some form, whether it's connection or alignment or having the same goals. It's important to talk about how we would suggest our listeners address a divergence in their relationship. I think one thing is getting in contact with what each of you actually stand for and if you're standing for the same thing. Yeah, it's really important to understand, do we want the same thing? And then the question can come up over time of, do we still want the same thing? Mm -hmm. Are we, do we have the same values personally that we had when we got together in the first place? Mm -hmm. And how do you navigate that? I think that's one of the big challenges in relationships, long-term relationships is, People do change and evolve. And how do you deal with that? In your last marriage of 20 years, would you say that there was a value change? I think what happened for me in my previous marriage was that I had a lot of imprinting from my childhood that was very heavy, was very strong. And you could say that everyone has that, but I'm going to speak from my own experience here that since personal growth has been such a huge value for me in my life, it was inevitable that I would apply a lot of effort to overcoming my own injuries, my own psychological traumas. And I invested more time and energy in that than I did in anything else in my life mm. by far. Mm. And I healed a lot. And as I healed a lot, the alignment of values evaporated mm -hmm. in my relationship. And my perception was that my now ex-wife didn't change a lot. Now, she might have a different, I'm sure she has a different perspective, mm -hmm. but I became very interested in this collaborative partnership model that I tried really hard to create with her, but it didn't work mm -hmm. with her. So... I think that that would count as a values shift in me. Mm -hmm. I think deep down, there wasn't a big change, but the overlaying trauma as it dissolved from hard work 
revealed a big gap, a big divergence. Well, it also sounds like, as with your situation, as couples do have a value shift over time, if we're really supporting each other truly and really for each other, then we're supporting our partners to live into those values rather than saying that they need to shift over to our values or there's something wrong because our values don't match anymore. Right. And I would think in some cases there could be a really deep honoring of like, hey, our values just are too different at this point. That was the clarity we got to. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of hard work. And there were periods like what you're talking about of arguments about who's going to live in whose values now or who needs to change to make this new dynamic workable. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like so much suffering when we're trying to get our partner to change. Absolutely. And so, you know, one thing, and it's sometimes hard to hear, but I think sometimes it is if we are really actually being for each other and we're not finding alignment and we have very different values, I think that the best thing that we can do is actually consciously decouple. Absolutely. Yeah. That can be a really healthy and necessary step. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, unfortunately, oftentimes people don't get enough support around going all the way down to the bottom of the well to see what's really true before doing that. Totally. So if truth is at the core of our commitment to each other, then the truth might be that it's time to move on and we've done what we were here to do together. Yeah. And in either case... I find it really hard to imagine really living into a super successful relationship, whether it means that we come to an end at some point or we stay together until the end without agreements. Like obviously we really promote agreements on this podcast, but for me, it's like, I can't imagine trying to find our way as a couple if we didn't align about explicit agreements about how we are going to be with each other and how we're going to treat each other and care for each other. Because then over time, it just, it starts to erode. I mean, there's probably a common sense, like I think you brought up in a different conversation, like there's a common sense way of treating each other and being with each other. But if we're not having agreements about really cleaning things up, about really being truthful in the moment, then over time, I think the values shift is a much harder conversation versus maybe there's a way, a way we can find a pathway that can include both of our values and we can still stay deeply connected and aligned about what we're up to as a couple. Right. I, th I agree with you. I, I think there's sort of two things there in what you're saying. One is the agreements and then the other one is the shifts in values. Like if you have agreements that are broken, if there's betrayal or disrespect or lying or hiding, you know, you've got that problem too on top of potentially having a divergence of values problem. Right. I mean, it's hard enough to navigate a divergence of values without adding insult to injury with not keeping commitments that you've made to each other or not having commitments, not having agreements. Yes. And I also think that like I'm imagining if you and I, in let's say in five or 10 years, your value shifts from where you are today to let's say being on motorcycle rides for half the year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like shifting towards how about um, plastic surgery? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're doing motorcycles, I'm doing plastic surgery. And I feel like as long as we're connected and we love each other, that we could link our values. And we've talked about this on a different podcast episode where there's ways to actually link how our 
partner's values supports our own values. So like, let's say you're out there motorcycling, like, hey, great, I have plenty of time to go down to Mexico and get some plastic surgery done. Like, Will's not going to have a problem if I do that while he's on his motorcycle for several months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But all joking aside, I think that there is ways to link our values if the relationship isn't damaged between us. For sure. There's way more room for a divergence if there's love and respect and care and, you know, all of those emotional connections and currency, you know, deposits in the bank come from making commitments and keeping those commitments. So I've definitely met couples who moved on into other relationships from a place of absolute love and care and acknowledgement of the the value and the beauty that was experienced in the finite time they were together. And it, it wasn't some kind of problem that they ended up spending a later chapter of their lives with somebody else. Yeah, totally. To me, that's one of the vulnerabilities of this long-term commitment because I love so much what we're up to right now. It's hard to imagine decoupling with you in the future and having that be an experience that feels okay or feels necessary or inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to imagine too. Now, if somebody's listening and, and they do have a partner who is seems deeply divergent in an important area of life, like health or growth or what they're up to together, maybe we support them with a first step or two in navigating that kind of conversation. I think one important step is to first look at how you, listener, relate to the subject yourself and initiate a conversation starting with owning how you are looking at that subject. So taking ownership around the content of the conversation rather than leading with, hey, it seems like you don't agree with my perspective on this. You know, it's more like, listen, like I want want to have a conversation about this because it feels like it's really important to the wellness of our relationship that we can have a conversation and figure out where we're both at about this so we can navigate how this is going to turn out for us. And are you open to hearing how I perceive this area? And I'd love to hear where you're at about this area and just have a really gentle, caring conversation about where we're both at. Yeah, I like that. I think um, related to that for me is another maybe first step or pre-first step is are you, you know, are you open to having a conversation about something that's important to me? And, you know, if the person is watching football, they might be like, well, wait a second, I'm not ready to do that right now. (laughs) Um, And so it's like, well, when, when would that work for you? Because I think that it sets you up for more success, make sure that the person's ready to have the conversation, but not avoiding it indefinitely. Yeah, I love that yeah. first step. And then I'd also say to be flexible in your perspective, your own perspective, and be able to be influenced by your partner's perspective. I mean, hopefully your partner is too, but you know, if I was just yeah. staying positional about, no, well, this is the way it is. Even Peter Atia says, it's this, this is the way it is in his book. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I stayed positional about that and I wasn't open to being influenced by your perspective, then why or how should I expect my partner to be open and influenced in their perspective? 100%. Yeah, being willing to be influenced is critical. 
The other thing that comes to mind is that, and we've talked about this in the first few episodes of this podcast a lot, is the importance of having agreements from the get-go about having difficult conversations. You know, a lot of couples don't even have an agreement that they're willing to turn toward a difficult topic. And then a lot of time can be wasted with, you know, someone resisting a conversation that could be a make it or break it conversation for the couple, you know, and you're kind of wasting time figuring out if this is a go or not. So even before the pre-step, do you have an agreement that something really important to one party in the relationship is going to be talked about in a timely way? Right. Versus just the common sense. Like, of course we do that because that's common (laughs) sense. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, we hope that you enjoy this episode and I personally would love to hear all perspectives about how people relate to aging, how they relate to entering into the second half of their lives, and do they see it as a decline? Do they see it as even more possibility and generativity? How do you relate to it? I think it would be awesome to open up the conversation. So you can reach us at kristavanderveer.com, or you can leave a comment in your favorite podcast platform, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for joining. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We